Well, good morning. Welcome to our, um, our time of worship, our time of fellowship together. Uh, it's great to see you all. If you're here for the first time, we want to really welcome you this morning uh, to our church, to our fellowship, to our home. Um, it's great to, great to have you here. It's uh, always uh, uh, lovely to see you and pray the Lord will bless you this morning uh, through his word and that he has already through the worship um, and that you'd come in more, more into an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would actually know him more and more deeply this morning, which is our hope and our desire uh, for you as a church. There's a wonderful verse in the scripture that, um, that says this, and I'll just read it out to you. Uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches, the riches of his grace. And it talks about how there is redemption in the blood of Jesus and how there is this buying back, this buying back from what we were to what we can become. Because the idea of redemption in the scripture is the idea of purchasing to take someone out of slavery. That's, there's, an, there's an element of, uh, that's attached to the meaning. And so God is actually bringing us back or buying us out or purchasing us from a place of slavery, if you like, and redeeming us by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus and the riches of his grace. That God is this rich God, rich in grace, because he sees people and says, you know what, I don't want them to be slaves anymore. I don't want them to be enslaved to things. And we sang a song like that this morning, didn't we? We sang a song that we're no longer slaves to fear because we are children of God. And think about that for a moment because what God is saying is I've redeemed you, I've I've bought you so that you don't have to be slaves anymore. And the way I've purchased you is because through the blood of Jesus. We talk about the blood of Jesus because this is not just a word, it's actually power. He shed his blood to purchase and deliver you from slavery. And people have fear. People know what fear feels like. You know what fear feels like. And what he wants us to do is bring us to a place of safety in him as his child so that we can deal with fear. But not just fear. Our slavery isn't just fear. There's lots of things, whether it's uh, anxieties, addictions, or a bitterness or a bitter heart, or unforgiveness, or the opinions of other people. Popularity, greed, the desire for more because that's going to satisfy me, materialism, all those sorts of things that control our lives and take us out of the will of God that God doesn't desire for his children because they rob us of our peace. They rob us of our joy. They rob us of the things that God's designed for us in this life, a life that is abundant by the goodness and the grace of God. And God says, you know these things that enslave you? I want to set you free from. I want to deliver you from these things. I want to take you out of a place where these things hold you, capture you, and take you to a place where these things no longer control you so you can know my love and experience my love, my mercy, my forgiveness, and go off in life and do the very things I have for you, the greatest things that you can do, and that is fulfill my plan for you. And so there was a time in history where God's people were slaves, literally were slaves. 
way back in the time of, of um, in the place of Egypt, when God's people grew up initially feeling quite free and cared for, because when God's people went to Egypt, firstly, they were kind of like the new thing, like the new kid on the block, Everyone, and, and, and the king looked after them until things went sour for them, things went wrong for them, and they found themselves to be slaves. Working under the harsh conditions of Pharaoh. Troubled every day. Perhaps in the hearts of many of them looking up into heaven and saying, God, what is going on? You ever felt like that? Until God, Bible says, God heard their cry. And he says, I'm going to come down and deliver them. I'm going to do something to set them free from slavery. They're no longer to be slaves. They're going to be set free from this. The bondage of sin, the bondage of a hard taskmaster, because this is what this world kind of like is. It's like a hard taskmaster that demands of you something all the time. Do this, do that, get this, have that, go there, go here. And if I don't do it, I'm not like everyone else. I don't have um, the popularity of other people. What are they going to think of me? I'm never going to be satisfied. And so this race of life is like the hard taskmaster of this world that feeds us all these things through technology and media and movies and all these sorts of things that says this is what you've got to be. But slowly, like thorns, they just wrap around you. And before you know it, you're choking, thinking, how did I get myself here? And guys, I want to set you free from this. You are to be, you are to be delivered from this slavery. So he could, took him out of Egypt, but to take him out of Egypt, they had to do something. They had to get the blood of animals and to go over their doorposts and to sprinkle their doorposts with the blood of animals. And all of a sudden, God saw that blood and he passed over them with their death, and the rest were destroyed, or others were destroyed, and they were free from Egypt. And now we go back to this verse in, in Ephesians that says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Wow. Thank God for Jesus. And this morning I want to speak a little bit about how awesome this redemption is in Jesus, how wonderful this gift is in Jesus, because I suspect in our room today there are people who are still yet to know the wonder and the glory of redemption in Christ. The wonder and glory to come from a place of slavery and sin and say, Lord, I want out of here. I want to be in your son. I want to know the forgiveness of Jesus. I want to know the restoring work of Jesus. I want to know what it means to be healed from the very thing from within, not necessarily without, from within. I want to know this. So I'd like to share with you a beautiful passage in Psalms 51. A beautiful passage where the psalmist speaks about this redemption that we have in Christ or this forgiveness that we have in the Lord. And may I add that when we come to break bread as a church, and if you haven't been breaking bread as a Christian, then you need to really ask yourself, what, why am I not doing this? 
Because this is not only a command of Jesus that you are choosing not to obey, but it's also a beautiful testimony or experience of remembering just what Jesus has done for you. And so Jesus did it, commanded that we do this in remembrance of him. And so breaking bread together as a fellowship is a command, but it's also an amazing blessing. An amazing blessing for the child of God. And so when we come and break bread as a church, we come at um, 10 o'clock to break bread as a church. I encourage you, if you are a child of God, walking and striving after the things of Christ, come and enjoy with your brothers and sisters. Uh, Not because I'm demanding it of you, but the Lord commands it of you. The Lord commands that we break bread together. And uh, this is part of that picture is the redemption we we have in Jesus. So Psalm 51 says this, Now, I don't normally do this because of the length of the psalm, but this morning I think it's important that we just listen to this psalm. Take a moment to listen to the psalmist's heart. He writes this psalm, and don't you love God's honesty in his word? Don't you love the fact that God is honest? God doesn't hide things. God doesn't say, oh, my king sinned. What am I going to do? I'm going to hide it from everyone. This is a time when King David messed up big time. He did something he shouldn't have done. Because of what he did, he brought sadness upon his life. Because of what he did, he brought dryness in his soul. Because of what he did, he brought shame to himself. And he knew that. I don't know whether you're in that place this morning, but I know what it feels like to have to have a sense of shame about what I've done. And I know that you know, if you think long enough and hard enough, you know that the Lord Jesus Christ exposes and sees the depth of our hearts because the Word of God tells us that the Word is like a two-edged sword that is able to discern the thoughts, the intents of the heart. So even though outwardly you say, oh, look at me, I'm doing all the right things, God says, but let me see, let me have a, let me, let me have a conversation with you for a moment about your motives. Let me have a conversation at the moment about your pride. Let me have a conversation about your bitterness, your anger. Let me have a conversation about your unforgiveness. Let me have a conversation with you about these things because I see the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And even though you're on the phone saying, hi, love, how are you going, love? Deep in your heart, you can't stand that person maybe. And so God's saying, let me have a conversation with you about this because that's what I see. That's what I'm most concerned about. And so the Word of God does this. And so this David is now crying out to God in this condition. And it's quite a beautiful psalm. Let's read it through. It's his prayer. It's his song. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you don't desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You don't delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall offer bulls on your altar. Beautiful passage, beautiful chapter. David did something that brought him shame. And now he cries out to God and says, God, have mercy me forgive my sin blot them out restore my soul bring the joy of thy salvation deal with me from the inside help me work it out once and for all for good and all this talk that christians talk about about sin and forgiveness surely it's just kind of old-fashioned stuff surely it's kind of just bible stuff surely it's stuff that people talked about in the past what's sin and then iniquity and forgiveness what's this stuff that the bible keeps talking about surely it's not relevant for today i tell you the truth beloved i tell you the truth look around you and you see daily if not moment by moment the consequences of sin you see brokenness constantly You see brokenness not only in people's lives but in people's relationships, people's homes. You see consequences of this because you see what sin does to the world. So people can call it old-fashioned, but I'm telling you, it's just as real today as it was back then. People choose to do things that satisfy them at the expense of other people. People choose to think of themselves more than other people. This is all the fruit of sin. People hurt other people, whether intentionally or not intentionally, because of the fruit of sin. People hold on to things, grudges for years, give people the silent treatment for a long time because of sin. And all of a sudden, God says, what are you doing? This is damaging you. This is hurting you. It's hurting your relationships, but it's also hurting your soul, and it's hurting you as a person. You need healing. So it's not old-fashioned at all. In fact, it's actually probably the most relevant thing we need to talk about. Because in this, God says, I'll tell you something. It's there, and I've got a solution for it. I've got a solution for it. Now, I'm not going to go through every verse, because that will take us way too long. But I want to draw your attention to just a few verses this morning. And the first verse I want to draw your attention is verse 3. David says, for I acknowledged my transgressions and my sin, my sin is always before me. Friends, tell me something. What is the first thing that, you know, that we all know we need to do before we can move on with a problem? The very first thing we need to do before we can move on with any problem is what? Is acknowledge it. It's to be able to say, you know what, Lord? God, you see more than other people see, but you know what I've done. 
I understand what I've done. Even though everyone may pat me on the back and say, you're such a good man, you know what I've done, God. And this personal acknowledgement of what we've done in our lives is one of the, the first thing we need to do to be set free from the things that enslave us. To try and add good things upon our slavery is like Israel back in Egypt saying, you know what, we're just got to keep doing good things so we can somehow feel better. But the problem was they were in slavery. Doesn't matter how many good things they did, they were still slaves in Egypt. You can try and better yourself, go to all these kinds of groups that may make you a better person, speak better to people, But at the end of the day, what you've got to acknowledge is what you've done. And if you run from that, you'll never find healing from within. So David says this, I acknowledged my iniquity before you. I acknowledged my sin. I wonder this morning if you have done something that you know, God, it's it's brought me sadness in my life. I'm sad because of something I've done. I'm I'm not where I should be. The joy of the Lord has been robbed from me because of what I'm doing or what I've done. And this morning you're sitting and you think, God, you're speaking straight into my heart. Then this morning you need to say something very simple to God. God, I acknowledge what I've done. This is the beginning of my healing, Lord. This is the gift you give me to be able to hear your voice this morning that says, God, I need to do something about this. Perhaps you've thought to yourself, I, you know, my, my intentions of how I do things at work or at home, I had good intentions, but now I look back and I think, God, it was wrong. Well, so I acknowledge, he says, he acknowledges his sin. Then in verse 4, he says this, And against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, so that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. What David is saying here is, God, I can't turn around and say to you, God, God, you made me do it. It's your fault, God. You put this person in my life. You allowed this person to come across my path. You made that person cut me off. I don't know. God says, no, listen. David says something very interesting. He says, you know what, God? Even though what I've done to this man and to this woman and what I've done in my life, I tell you something that, Lord, it's against you I've sinned. So I've acknowledged it, and I've acknowledged that the deepest, deepest uh, offense that I've caused is an offense toward God. Yes, sure, my actions have consequences, and I affect people, and maybe for a while they're impacted because of what I did, and that's the impact of sin. But the deepest offense is my offense toward my Creator. That's what I've got to get sorted out. And the beautiful news is this God is waiting. God is waiting this morning to sort that out. A long time ago, there was a man called Joseph who was also, interestingly, taken slavery and sold off by his brothers. And he found himself in his master's house, Potiphar, and his master gave him everything. His master said, you know what? (laughs) I see the favor of God upon you. You got control of everything in my house. And he entrusted him with everything. Of course, Joseph was a bit of a good-looking man and Potiphar's wife had an eye for him. So she started seducing him day after day, making sure, trying to wear him down so that one day he would give in. But he couldn't. He couldn't do this. He said to her, your husband's given me everything except you. 
But she tried. As sin does, it tries, it tries again and again and again and again to wear us down. And then he says this. He says, he says to her, There is no one greater in this house than I, nor is, nor is he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who, you think? God. He didn't say my master. He said, how can I do this great sin and wickedness against God? It's almost like he's saying, I know your master's a powerful man and I'm pretty scared of him, but I'll tell you, at the end of the day, I'm more scared of God. And so here is Joseph acknowledging that when he offends someone, the greater offense is of God. And that needs to be sorted out. And so, so David says here, um, against you and you only have I sinned. This morning, if you've caused an offense towards someone, then sure, you, need, you might need to sort that out with them. There may be times you need to go up and sort that out. But I want you to understand this morning that your offense more greatly is an offense to God, your creator. And the hope we have in that is the blood of Jesus. We have redemption through the blood according to the riches of his grace. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, Behold, you desire, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part of you will make me to know wisdom. You desire truth in the inward parts. What does that mean? God's not interested in you fixing up yourself outwardly. God's not interested in you actually learning how to speak better, communicate better, do things better. What God is interested first and foremost, those things will flow out. What God's first and foremost interested in is you sorting things out from the inside. Where what is happening is this, your heart is beating with a heart of love. Your heart is beating with a heart of forgiveness. Your heart is beating with a heart of mercy. God is interested in that happening from within because when he's got that, all those other things will flow out. You'll be, you'll be amazing to hang around with. You're no longer a nuisance to people. So the thing is, God desires truth from the inside and his word um, convicts from the inside and restores from the inside. Later on the passage we read that God doesn't desire sacrifices, which is a really interesting phrase because in those days, that's what they did. They did sacrifices so they can deal with their issues. But God says, David says in this passage, you don't even want sacrifices, God. Because you know what David's saying? God doesn't want all those outward rituals that we do, like going to church and praying and reading our Bible, when in the inside we're not prepared to deal with it. Does that make sense? And that's why he says God desires... A broken and contrite spirit. That's what he says in that passage later on. Because when someone comes before God and says, God, I'm not in a good place. Yeah, I'm reading my Bible. Yeah, I'm going to church. I'm doing all those things Christians do, but I'm not in a good place. He says that's what God desires. He desires a broken and contrite spirit. A person who says, God, I want to get things right from the inside. A person says, God, I want to get things right based on what you know I'm doing deep within. I can run from people, but I can't run from you. God, you need to help me from within. Is it time that we're honest? Is it time that we need to be honest with God? Or are we going to keep justifying what we're doing? 
We're going to keep justifying what we're doing and finding ourselves just continuing to run from the things that are going to set us free. We're going to run around Egypt, but at the end of the day, we're still in slavery. We're going to build our homes in Egypt, but we're still in slavery. We're going to accumulate our wealth in Egypt, but we're still in slavery. Is it time to be honest? Is it time that we need to say sorry to someone? Is it time that we need to stay sorry to someone and humble ourselves? That's a broken and contrite spirit. Is it time we need to humble ourselves and say sorry to God? Is it time that we need to do that so we can sort it out once and for all? And the psalmist is saying, you know, God, you want it from the inside. You want this um, working out from the inside because God says, if you let me do that, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take your past. Listen to this. I'm going to take your past and I'm going to deal with it once and for all. Friends, we've all got a past. I'm sure if we all had the opportunity to share honestly, we'd share things that we've done that we know we regret. Some of us even still carry regrets of what we've done. But I'll tell you the truth, in Christ, even though there may be a past that's been washed by the blood of Jesus, in, the, the past must not define us today. Do you understand that? In Christ, our past doesn't need to define us. We're not defined by our past. What we're defined by is the blood of Jesus. We're defined by what he did for us. We're defined by the fact that he washed us, cleansed us, uh, uh, restored us, transformed us. That's what we're defined by. And even though our past may still have consequences that we may have to live with, maybe for months, maybe even years, it does not define us. And when the enemy comes and whispers and says, yeah, but look at your past then you know in Christ your past is done. In fact, Martin Luther um, um, found, found himself in a dream. In a dream, he was attacked by Satan. And um, the devil unrolls this long scroll containing his sins. And he holds it, he holds it before him. And uh, then Martin Luther says to him, is that all? He says, no, he brings out another scroll. Okay, is that all? No, he goes, I've got a third one. He goes, is that all? Yes, that's it. And then Martin Luther turns around and says to say, in the dream, he says to him, quickly write down next to each one of them that the blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from all sins. What are they going to do? Well, how, how is my past? How, why would my past define me when the blood of Jesus Christ washes me from all my sins? But is it time to be honest? Is it time to say to someone, sorry? Is it time to say to God, sorry? Is it time to come to a place where we need to say, Lord, okay, I've tried it my way. Now it's your way. Look what God says, verse 7. David says, purge me, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Isn't that beautiful? Purge me, Lord, with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Now, back in the day when they used to do fulfill certain laws, hyssop was used as a sort of branch to try to, as part of a purification process. And David knew this. So David says, you know, Lord, purge me with hyssop. And then he says, make me, make me whiter than snow. You know what? God loves to do that. God loves to take something filthy and make it whiter than snow because in the process, God is glorified. 
He loves that. In fact, he loves it so much that he doesn't even need to wait for David. He goes out reaching out to us and inviting us to be made whiter than snow. Did you know that? In fact, God even, like almost like a gentleman in Isaiah says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're like red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Imagine that. God says, come, let me have a conversation with you. I want to have a conversation with you. Let's reason together. You've got a problem, I've got an answer for you. You've got a pain, I've got a healing. Yeah, You've dug yourself in a hole, I've got something to get you out of this. Come, he says, let's reason together. Reason with me. Don't go reason with your addictions. Don't go reason with your pleasures. Come reason with me. Don't run and somehow try and soak up or, 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 or get rid of your emotions through other means. Come and let me deal with your pain and your sin because if they're like scarlet, they're going to be as white as snow. I'll wash you clean. Come reason together, God, the God who could, the God who has the right to judge us. In fact, there's another scripture that's quite remarkable. Is David says this: If you were to record my iniquities, if you were to record the iniquities of people, who could stand? In other words, God, if you kept a record of my sins, we're gone. We're gone. But then he says this, listen carefully, he says this, but there is forgiveness in you so that you are feared. Did you get that? But there is forgiveness in you so that you are feared. How does that work? There's forgiveness so that you're feared? Absolutely. So God's saying, you know, I see what you've done. I know what you're doing. I see the condition of your heart. I see the impact that it's having. But I tell you the truth. If you come to me, you'll be forgiven. If you resist it, then you need to fear me. Okay? There is forgiveness in you that you, can be, that you should be feared. God is willing to forgive. Run from that and you run from the mercy of of God. And, and David says, you know what? Purge me, Lord. Purge me and make me whiter than snow. When that happens, friends, when that happens, God promises this. That to be in Christ, you become a new creation. All the old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. That's in 1 Corinthians. When there's a washing away of your sin, God says, you're not not only going to wash away your sins, but I'm going to now decide that your past will be dealt with once and for all, that in Christ you become a new creation. You get to start again. You you get to have a new life. You're allowed to press the reset button and begin now the way God planned for you to live life. He said, I promise you, you are a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But there's a cost because God says in his word that you were bought at a price. That price was the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
He said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a new creation. That's guaranteed because I bought you with a price. That price was my son's blood. And now because you're purchased, now go and glorify God in your life. Go tell the world of what God has done for you. Go declare the testimony of God's mercy and forgiveness to a man that was blind but now can see. Lost but now found. Go tell the world, this is your testimony. This becomes who you are. So this morning you sit here and think to yourself, God, I know, I know I'm not in the place I should be. And I know there is forgiveness in you that you should be feared. And I know that you can purge me with hyssop and I know you can make me whiter than snow. Then who this morning, beloved, still resists the grace of God? Why would you resist it? It's like resisting life. You can't move on. It's like going to the mechanic with a car that's got a problem. You think, I don't know what the problem is. And you don't expect the mechanic to say, I'll just throw it away. You expect the mechanic to say, okay, look, I'll troubleshoot. I'll fix it. I'll try and find a problem for you. Because until you get down to the root of that problem, that car is going nowhere. It's not moving. No matter how beautiful it looks on the outside, no matter how shiny it is on the outside, no matter how beautiful features you've put in there, it is not moving until that person, that mechanic, gets to the root of that problem. Beloved, that root of the problem is there, exists within you. It's called your heart that is sinned against God. God wants to heal it, forgive it, so you can move and move in the passion that God created you to have. Imagine ringing someone in IT, you've got a computer problem. Why does my computer keep doing this? And the IT person says to you, not my problem. It's not your problem, that's who you are. Of course it's your problem. So imagine coming to God and God saying, it's not my problem, go somewhere else. Then you, we would be lost forever. But God doesn't. He says, come, let us reason together. Let's reason together. You've got a problem, I've got an answer. You've got a pain, I've got a healing. Come, let's reason together. Let your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And then finally, beloved, finally, in the most beautiful way, songs have been sung about this. And perhaps in the most, one of the beautiful passages in the scripture, David says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Very quickly, I want to tell you, just very, very briefly, I want to tell you four things he says here. First one is, he has a desire. He has a desire for a clean heart or a desire, if you like, for forgiveness. Create in me a clean heart. Is that your prayer this morning? Perhaps we can pray these four things together this morning. Create in me a clean heart, O God. In other words, God, I desire your forgiveness. I've tried it my way. I've given it a go. I'm still not happy. I'm still sad. I'm still finding myself in the bondage of sin. I'm still finding myself troubled by the things that I know are hurting me. But Lord, this morning I pray this. Create in me a clean heart. Because only God can. Yeah, come let us reason together. Creating me a clean heart. God's going to deal with your past, but he first needs to deal with your heart. 
Create in me a clean heart, he says. First prayer. Second prayer is a desire for God's joy. I'm sorry, for God's presence. He says in verse 11, Do not cast me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And God, when you wash me and cleanse me and you created me a clean heart, there is forgiveness now. God, I desire above all other things your presence. Do not cast me from it. I just want your presence, Lord. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. Whatever you ask of me, that's what I want to be doing. I desire your presence. You know, this prayer is a prayer of someone who genuinely understands what it means to be forgiven. Because when God has taken us from Egypt into freedom, then we realize we never want to go back. And that's why it's bizarre when you read in the Bible, people in the wilderness saying, I want to go back to Egypt. I had leek and garlic there. What? You had leek and garlic there? You're free. You're free. You're you're no longer slaves and you prefer to go back to Egypt because you you had food? It's like the people today who say, I want to go back. Oh, but I used to be able to do this when I wasn't a Christian. You're free. And so those who are genuinely forgiven understand how wonderful and how necessary and how vital the presence of God is. Creating me a clean heart. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe your prayer is also, Lord, and I just want your presence above all things. I want to be where you are, doing what you want me to do. And then thirdly, there's a desire for God's joy. It says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me by your generous, a generous spirit. Maybe that's your prayer. Lord, create me a clean heart. Let me be in your presence. And Lord, do you know that joy that I knew when I first knew you? And I'm sure many of you understand what I'm saying when I say this. You know that joy I knew when I understood your forgiveness? When someone first told me about Jesus and I said, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. When this forgiveness of sin and mercy came upon my life. When all of a sudden the world seemed like nothing to me because all I knew was the love of God. You know that joy, Lord? Restore it to me, please. I ask you, I beg you, restore the joy of my salvation. Because, beloved, the Bible says this, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we lose that, we lose some strength. And so the psalmist knew this, and he said, Lord, restore the joy of thy salvation. So maybe that's your prayer. And then finally, he says, Lord, I want to go and do your will. I want to be committed to doing your will. Verse 13, And then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. How wonderful is this? When we understand a clean heart, the presence of God, the joy of salvation, automatically we can't help it, but people start to see the love of God in us, and we say to them, I was lost, but now I'm found. Our life becomes a testimony. Our life becomes a witness to others. And that's why people sometimes look at us and think, boy, what's wrong with you? But the the reason what's wrong with us is because we know the joy of the Lord, because there's forgiveness in our hearts. We know what life really is. Because then you're going to teach sinners the way, because you know the way yourself. Go. And it's interesting because 
In that verse I quoted you before, that anyone in Christ is a new creation, straight after that verse, God says, now you have the ministry of reconciliation. Interesting. Because when you know the forgiveness of God, something happens in your life where God says, you know what, go now and tell others. Wasn't it the life of Jesus? The man that he healed in the, uh, in the village and, and he says, the man says to him, can I come with you? What did Jesus say to him? No. Go back and tell your family what I've done for you. It becomes a natural witness to the cleansing, presence, joyful relationship we have with the Lord. We become a witness. Go. Go tell people in your workplaces, my friends. Go tell people in your homes. Go tell people at your universities. Go tell your friends. Go tell people in the prisons. Go tell people in the darkest places. Go and tell them just by where you are and who you are, what Christ has done for us. But first and foremost, we come this morning and we say, God, I need to deal with what I know I've been putting off. Creating me a clean heart, O oh God. And in a moment, I want us to pray together and I want to give you the opportunity to say, God, create in me a clean heart. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands. I'm just going to ask you to quietly come in prayer and say, Lord, <laughs> you spoke to me. Oh, this thing, Barry, at the front, just kind of like a little thing that just speaks. You, know? you spoke to me and you showed me that my heart isn't in the right place. And my prayer this morning is, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Take not your presence from me. Restore the joy of thy salvation. Yeah. And then watch God work. That's faith. So let's bow our heads this morning. Let's bow our heads this morning as we come and we pray. I want us just to come to, just for a moment of silence this morning as we come and reflect on the amazing grace of God. How amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And this morning as we come in, in, a, in a moment of silence, I want us to reflect on those words. And the passage this morning of David, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Take not your presence from me and restore the joy of your salvation into my heart. My friends, the Bible says that there is joy, greater joy in heaven in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. And God is a God who reasons with us and says, come let us reason together. So if God has spoken to you this morning, I pray that in the quietness of your heart that you would call upon the Lord. It's not a formula. You don't need to say a certain prayer. You don't need to use certain words. You just say, God... In whatever way you want to say it, God, I've sinned against you. I haven't dealt with the issue. And I need your mercy and forgiveness. And with this mercy and forgiveness, Lord, I just go and do what you want me to do. I want to shine with the joy of salvation, the light of grace in my life. I'm going to close in prayer and I pray that this morning if that's been your heart's desire and prayer that you would um, be encouraged in the Lord. The Bible says anyone who comes to Jesus he in no wise casts them away. 
want you to have confidence this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ that he who confesses his sins, he is faithful and just to forgive him and cleanse him of all unrighteousness. I encourage you this morning to come and um, share your faith. Come and talk to me. Share your faith. Share your trust. Come and share. Come and share this morning before you leave even if there's opportunity so we can rejoice together in what the Lord is doing in your life. Our loving Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this morning. We thank you that you take our past and you deal with it once and for all. That in Christ, my Lord, our past doesn't define us. It doesn't make us who we are today. We are made in Christ a new creation. And Father, to think of all the amazing, wonderful things you have in store for those who put their trust in you. Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has even entered the heart of man the things you've prepared for those who love you. And this morning, as your children... We are no longer enslaved, but rather free because of the word of truth. And so, Father, I thank you for all those who in the heart of their hearts have prayed and said, Lord, have mercy on me, forgive my sin, cleanse me, wash me, make me whiter than snow, make me to know the joy of thy salvation. Lord, I pray this morning you give them assurance, confidence in the knowledge that you've heard them, and that you are wanting with great love and power to restore them. Father, strengthen their faith. Let not the enemy come against them with lies, but rather may they trust in the living God. Pray your blessing upon them. Bless them, Lord God, over the next few weeks. Father, I have confidence that you are the power and the almighty God who speaks in all things and through all members of the body. And I pray your blessing upon this place in the weeks ahead. Father, as they care for one another, as they love one another, as they encourage one another, they are blessed by the power of your Spirit. And that you guide us and lead us in all that we're doing in our travels and all that we are, that we may honour and glorify you. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.